With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast. It is Friday, the 20th of November. We've made it to the end of another week. We've made it to the start of a Premier League weekend. Real football is back. No more international nonsense. Whole slate of games, 10 of them in total for us to dig into today. I'm going to be joined by Guy Drinkle to preview and badly predict the 10 games. But first... A little story I saw yesterday in the Daily Mail has drawn my ire. I won't name the journalist, but let's just say if he added the word lend to the end of his name, it would be a more accurate description of what he is. Um, He wrote that before the Ireland-England game, Ireland watched anti-British videos. Anti-British videos. What they actually watched was In the Name of the Father, which is a film based on historical events, things that actually factually happened. Now, yes, there are some inaccuracies in the film. Yes, the director did take some creative liberties when putting the film together. Jim Shepard is on the record as saying this is a film. If you want the actual factual depiction of what happened, read the book. The book is called Proved Innocent, the story of Jerry Conlon of the Guildford Four. If you don't know who the Guildford Four are, I would suggest that you Google them, read about what happened to them, read about what happened to their families, and then come back and tell me that this is anti-English. This is not anti-English at all. If you're ashamed of it, you should be ashamed of what England did, the English government did, the English police did. In this instant. That's what you should be ashamed of. Let's not forget. This is not some hokey. Irish made. You know. 20 quid in someone's camcorder. Type of film. Sir Daniel Day-Lewis. Is the lead. Pete Postlethwaite. OBE. Rest in peace. Is also in the film. As is Dame Emma Thompson. Most of the cast are English. So unless you're accusing them of being traitors to the country, it is not anti-English. What this journalist has tried to do is sow some sort of tension between Ireland and England. And yes, some does exist. And there are many on my island 
who believe that those on the other island next to us should be held accountable for the horrendous things that took place here over a you know 500 year 500 year spell and beyond but this article is trash absolute trash he quotes unnamed sources as saying that video came close to the line nonsense utter nonsense he says that the fa have said they're going to launch a thorough investigation no they're not no they're not the fei i should say they're just not it's nonsense the lad sat down and watched a film it's a great film sit and watch it yourselves it's genuinely a great film day lewis is brilliant postlethwaite is brilliant emma thompson is brilliant Corin Redgrave is brilliant. It's a fantastic film. But it's a film. And for the Daily Mail, which is the home of racism in the UK, to publish this trash is, number one, unsurprising. Number two, it's just an attempt to further galvanize people pre-Brexit is what it is. But don't forget, we have a reciprocal, reciprocal agreement that predates the EU. So you're not getting rid of us yet. Simple as that. Right. On to the weekend's games. I'm joined by Guy Drinkle. How are you, mate? I'm good. How are you after your nice little run? <laughs> I'm outraged. I'm outraged. It really wound me up when I saw this yesterday. Like, I don't know what he thinks the Irish did before the game. They they sat around, they watched this anti-English film, you know, then they listened to the greatest speeches of Michael Collins for four hours on repeat. Then they, you know, had the team talk while they all hummed, come out ye black and tans. And then they stuck potatoes up their backsides and went out with hurling sticks and pitchforks to take on the nasty English. Like, I, I just, it really, really wound me up, as you might be able to tell. So let's not talk about him anymore. Mr. Something Lend. Yeah. Yes. He's, he's, a, he's a terrible journalist with a terrible track record. You, you should know who he is. Anyway, right, Guy, let's go. Right, so first game. And we can stop saying avoid buying the game because they're not on pay-per-view now, which is good. Um, it's fantastic. It is. They'll probably do something worse now, but we'll, we'll come to that at the time. But first game, um, Saturday, half 12 on BT as per, Newcastle v Chelsea. Um, it seems every time we bring up Chelsea, it's like these are the games they should win if they have ambitions, but they have been winning recently. They have indeed. They've looked improved in the last couple of games, though it must be said Burnley and Sheffield United both rolled over for them, but they are fifth in the league. Um, going into this game, they'll be without Christian Pulisic. Kai Havertz is a doubt. Thiago Silva is a doubt. And Ben Chilwell will have a, a late fitness test, but is expected to be fit. Whether they risk him or not is another matter, because obviously he's just come back from one injury. They may not want to take any chances. But like you say, 
I mean, Chelsea have looked better in recent weeks. They're the top scorers in the league. They have a lot of attacking talent. We've seen Hakim Ziyech sort of start to come into the team and, and play quite well. The concerns over them are the lack of structure in midfield, the defence. If teams really give them a go, it, it they can cause them a lot of problems. We've seen West Brom score three on them. We saw Southampton come back and score three on them. We saw Liverpool carve them open repeatedly. So, you know, they, they do have... Um, they do have work to do, but it hasn't been a bad start for Frank at all. Um, they'd probably wish to have a couple more wins rather than the three draws, but all things considered, they'll be happy enough, as will Newcastle. I mean, 13th in the league, three wins, two draws, three defeats. They've got a bunch of injuries this weekend, though. Uh, Dwight Gale is ruled out. Dubravka is still ruled out. Ryan Frazier is a major doubt. John Joe Shelby is a doubt. Callum Wilson potentially is back. He's back in training. He do, did have the, the the injury that forced him off a few weeks ago, but he is back in training. Matt Ritchie looks like he'll miss out. Almiron will have a late fitness test. And Paul Dummett is definitely out. So, you know, it depends. If, if Wilson and Almiron play, you would give Newcastle a shot here, especially at home, um, where they... You know, they can be a little bit feisty and they can put it up to teams. So as long as they don't just roll over the way that the boys the last two weeks against Chelsea have, Burnley and, and Sheffield United, you could see this being a tough game. But I still think Chelsea will have enough quality to win it out. And I'll go for a, a 3-1 Chelsea win. Andy Carroll v Thiago Silva is... That's, see, that's what I want to see, even just for like the last 20. Just bring Andy Carroll on, stand him on Thiago Silva and just lump the ball at him from absolutely everywhere. And let's just see how Thiago Silva deals with it. Let's get a load of runners in around him and see how he deals with that. It's it's how you find out whether he can play at this in this league or not. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But to be fair, Silva's not playing. <laughs> They'll be even worse. <laughs> it works either way. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but we'll move on. Chelsea should win that one, as we say. Um, I can start seeing games are interesting now because I'm going to actually watch them without a crappy stream. Um, Villa v Brighton. Villa, it's not even surprising now. They've, they've kind of, after a little bit of a bad patch, they've kind of recovered after beating uh, Arsenal. And Brighton, once the team of this podcast have kind of mm. gone bad. So... I mean, this should be a fun game to watch, but Villa should be favourites, you'd reckon? They turned their back on me before I turned my back on them. <laughs> they refused to listen to my advice. They refused to sign Veghorst. They refused to sign Ryan Sessegnon on loan. It's their own fault. Aston Villa, listen to me. They signed Ross Barkley. Who, who was beating that drum before me? Uh, <laughs> I, you, you have to look at this as a, as a game that Villa should win. At home, they're in, you know, very good form. Um, Wesley is ruled out. Obviously, Bjorn Engels is ruled out. Tom Heaton is ruled out. Uh, Frederick Gilbert is ruled out. Courtney House is ruled out. Bertrand Traore is back. But no injuries to anybody who would be considered a starter, which is a great thing for Villa at this point in the season when everybody else is dealing with injuries and COVID and whatever else. Um in terms of Brighton, Solly March is back. 
I believe Aaron Connolly's back. Davy Proper will have a late fitness test. Leandro Trossard is a major doubt. Lewis Dunk is suspended for that horrendous tackle he made a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Christian Walton is a doubt. Florian Andone and Alexis McAllister are both ruled out. And Jose Esquerdo has an outside shot of playing, but it is probably unlikely because they'll want to get him a bit of match fitness. Um, so all things considered, Brighton missing a couple of starters and with doubts over a couple more, not in good form. Obviously, you know, they haven't really taken advantage of the opportunities they've had this season. They were the better team against Chelsea, by far the better team against United, lost both games. The only win they got was the second game of the season away to Newcastle. They sit 16th on the table with six points. They've lost four games. They've they've been poor in a number of games. There is a lack of fight in that team that's concerning. Um, Villa, on the other hand, sits sixth, 15 points from, from seven games. Five wins. They don't do draws. Two defeats. Look good going forward. Look pretty strong defensively. And that spine that they've built with Emmy Martinez in goal, Esri Consett centre-back, Douglas Louise in the holding midfield role, Ross Barkley and John McGinn as the sort of box-to-box midfielders. And then you've got Grealish, uh, Watkins and Trezeguet up front. Like, they are very, very strong. You would fancy Villa to win this, and I fancy them to win it quite comfortably, if I'm being honest. I'm going to say they win this 3-0. I don't know where the goals are going to come from for Brighton right now. It's certainly a worry. They'll have to address it in January, but mm. yeah, I think I think it'll be fun. But Villa should should win, really. Uh, I don't know how you go from being right in the mix to buy Darwin Nunes for about twenty four million, and you know having one of your star players sending out pictures with Nico Gonzalez. Amid you know strong rumors that you're in for Nico Gonzalez to signing no attackers, it just well that was about, sorry sorry uh, they signed uh, Danny you Welbeck. you were right the first time <laughs> <laughs> they signed Danny Welbeck <laughs> Daniel Sturridge was available but they they signed Daniel Welbeck goal scorer or Danny Welbeck yeah yeah I was right the first time wasn't I <laughs> yeah. Uh. Uh, but yeah it's a, it's a strange like they were linked with like. Brewster as well, but it's just very strange. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. Like they were, they were were looking to spend money on a striker, and like there was good options out there, and they just ignored all of them. Mm. They should be fine till January, though. You'd hope so. There's three worst ba- teams. <laughs> that's that's the thing. There are three notably worse teams than them this year. In fact, there's four, but. You know, there may actually only be two by the time we get to January because we know that Chris Wilder and Sheffield United are capable of a top half finish. We know that Sean Dyche and Burnley are capable of a top half finish. So if they could get things turned around and find some form like like they displayed last year, Brighton might find that all of a sudden there's only two worst teams. Mm. And that's not enough. Yeah, it's true. It's true. But they they have, they have shown they'll spend, so if, if it's dire yeah. in general, they'll splurge, I imagine. Um, but we'll move on to probably the biggest game of the weekend, unless I'm missing anything obvious. Nope. Uh, Spurs v Man City. Um, this 
has to be seen as a bit of a litmus test for, for Spurs, I suppose, because everyone so far has talked about them probably more top four than title. But if they put a marker down and beat Man City, does that elevate them to title challenger? I think it has to. I genuinely think it has to. Um, you're, you're right. Everybody has been talking about them as a top four team and not really as a potential title winner. But when you look at the squad and you look at who the manager is and you realise that they did come relatively close to putting in real title challenges a couple of times under the previous manager, you do sort of have to give them a little bit of respect in terms of a, po- a possible title challenge. They've got the exact same record as Liverpool. Um, five wins, two draws, one defeat. Their defeat was the opening day of the season, that rather drab affair against Everton. If it hadn't been for their own lax defending, they would have had seven wins and that one defeat because they were one up against Newcastle in the 95th or 96th minute and they give away a silly penalty. They were 3-0 up against West Ham with about eight minutes to go and it all fell apart and they got a draw. So in truth, they will look at this and probably be a little bit disappointed that they're not clear at the top. Um, they've got a ton of options in attack. Defensively, there are some question marks and you wouldn't always be keen on Eric Dyer being one of your starting defenders. But this weekend, they're without uh, Eric Lamella and Matt Doherty for sure. Tanganga is, an, is a doubt, a major doubt, I would say. I think he's probably going to need a little bit of... Uh, a little bit more time to get himself back in the picture in the picture. But Bergvine and Endombele uh both have a good shot of playing. Endombele is more likely, but Bergvine has a shot of being involved in the squad. And when you factor in Bale is back in the team and looks to be in a little bit of form, Son and Kane have started the season so well. Heusberg is running the show in midfield. You really do get the sense of a team that could just go on a run of eight, nine, ten, ten wins in a row and firmly established themselves as title challengers. And this one will be a big one for them because City won the title back-to-back three years ago and two years ago. That's not even that long ago now. It should have been, but, you know, three seasons ago and two seasons ago, we should say. Um, City themselves without Aguero, Sterling's a doubt. Benjamin Mendy's unlikely to play. Fernandinho is out, and Nathan Aki is almost certainly out as well. So they've got bigger injuries, which, you know, we've seen them struggle for goals this season. It's it's so strange to watch a City team not just blast goals past teams. This is a team that, for the first four years Pep was in the league, were unbelievable going forward. The last three years, they've scored the most goals in the league. This year, they've scored 10 and 7 half the amount of goals that Chelsea have scored. So, without Aguero, De Bruyne not playing as well as you would expect, Bernardo Silva and Phil Foden having not stepped into the, you know, the David David Silva-shaped hole in the team, City are a little bit of a concern. You know, they're they're not looking like you would expect. Now, maybe the news of Guardiola's contract extension will give them a bit of a boost. Um... But I have to say, I do fancy Spurs to win this game. I think it'll be tight, but I think Kane and Son will be the difference here. I'm going to say 2-1 Spurs. Yeah, it's certainly interesting. I mean, if Spurs' midfield can contain De Bruyne, Sissoko and Dombele are 
La Celso if, if Ndombele is not fit. That should trouble Rodri and whoever's not David Silver in that situation. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Well, I, it puts a lot of pressure yeah. on them then to try and create. We saw it against yeah, Liverpool yeah. where Ginny Wijnaldum kind of just took Kevin De Bruyne out of the game at times and the others just couldn't really create anything. They plenty the mm-hmm. ball, but they just couldn't create anything. Mm. It is strange. I think probably this is the game to stick on a bit longer than the others, but Sterling will probably play because he had international itis. Um Sterling, Jesus, you'd probably say Torres on form, but he was a non-factor against Liverpool. Um, mm. It's not exactly Sane, Sterling, Aguero from years past. No, and even with, like, because Mahrez isn't in great form, and yeah. like I said, Bernardo's not in great form, so you, even if you play him in the front three, what are you going to get from him? Like, Sterling hasn't started the season the way he's played over the last two years where he was a top five player in the league. There's just nobody for them to really hang their hat on and say, right, we're in a bit of a funk here, but this guy is going to get us through games the way Liverpool can rely on Mo Salah, the way Spurs can rely on Harry Kane. Normally, that would be um, Raheem Sterling or Sergio Aguero, but Aguero's mm. been out all season, and Sterling just doesn't look the same player this year. Yeah, it's certainly true. I mean, Sterling, probably a few years back, you'd call him a patchy player. And, well, to be fair, he had a, a barren patch last season, so maybe it's just inconsistencies have crept into his game in the last couple of seasons as Man City's have struggled. Yeah, because City themselves were not particularly good last year. Um, talent alone kind of got them through the season, but a lot of drop points, a lot of poor performances, and an over-reliance on Kevin De Bruyne. And as brilliant as he is, I mean, there's, there's a cap on how many goals he's going to get you every season. Mm. And he can he can only create the chances for others. He can't create the goals for others. The others have to contribute yeah. to make that chance a goal. and. Mm-hmm. Like you say, Sterling had a really patchy season last year, um, like where, where he'd score in bunches, but then he might have he might have five games where he played really well, but just didn't find the back of the net for whatever reason. And personally, I don't like him as much on the left hand side. I think he's much I, I much better on the right. Yeah, I agree, especially a Man City system where it's all about width and that like the fullbacks are Kyle Walker who has no attacking ability whatsoever anymore and mm. either Mendy who is not Monaco Mendy anymore or a right footed left back. So Yeah. Or Zinchenko no, who's not a fullback at he's all. He's a midfielder, yeah. Yeah. There's there's no width in the team and when well was it seventeen, eighteen and eighteen nineteen, I know Sarney didn't play much in the second season, but the, all of it was about width and just spreading the play and the midfield could like control it. It just doesn't seem to do that anymore. No, City are still playing the same way as they did in their two title seasons. The issue is, it's a very different team. Like, a very different team. Mm. Could Torres do that on the right? I mean, I never saw him at Valencia. Obviously, he scored a hat-trick in midweek. I've still not seen him. See, the, 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 what, what made them great was that it was De Bruyne on the right of the midfield who could flow out and become a right-winger. And Sané as the left forward would drift out and become a left winger. And they could, they could just make the, the field as wide as possible. Plus they had those two fullbacks just bombing forward. But the other keys to it were 
Fernandinho was still able to just run all day long and would allow them so much freedom going forward because mm. he'd just foul anybody who, who got by him, you know, if he had to. But you had that little bit of creativity with David Silva in midfield. Now the silver role has been filled by Gundogan, who's a good player. He's just not the same type of player. They don't have that left-footed left winger who can drift mm. out and hold real width and provide outside crosses like you said, they've got issues at left back. Kyle Walker's not the same player anymore at right back. Delph should not be your Aguero best left back aged in and... recent years. <laughs> Who? Fabian Delph. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it was a joke, weird when they is. sold him. It was, <laughs> yeah. I know, I know you're messing, but like yeah. it, it was weird when they sold him because he had been important. I suppose mm. he wanted to go and play a bit more at Everton, but. Like you know, He'd probably still start left back for him now. <laughs> he would definitely start left back for City right now, definitely. Yeah. Like Jaconseo is a is a good attacking right back, but he can't defend and he can't play left back. So yeah, it, it's just it's so strange to me that they've they've sort of allowed their team to just fall away. Mm. And as much as I like Rodri, he's not Fernandinho, mm. and you can't play the same way with him as you could with Fernandinho. The I mean, I, I, I do believe Foden will become that that David Silva replacement, and, and he's going to be a great player. So that that will solve itself. But to not properly replace Leroy Sané with a left-footed left winger was just the strangest decision. Like, there's a bunch of left-footed wingers out there, even if they not like had nominally played on the right-hand side for their current club. City could have got them and flipped them because when they bought Leroy Sané, he played largely on the right for Schalke. Yeah. So there was no reason they couldn't have bought Samuel Chukwesi and said, right, we know you normally play on the right, but this is what we want you to do. And you're going to become a much better player when you can do this and what you can already do. And he would have been ideal for them, but they decided to find sign Ferran Torres, who's like a good player, but he's not going to play left wing for you and he's not left-footed, so... Could Mahrez do that? I know he's very different. But... He could. Yeah. It would. He would. I think Mahrez could do it quite well. Being honest, because he's a really good crosser of the ball. He's a really good dribbler. Whether Mahrez is enough of a team player to be willing to do it, I don't know, because he'd get much mm. less opportunities to shoot. And we all know Riyad Re- mm. Mahrez loves to have a a, a dig at goal. His goal, did you see his goal in the international break? I haven't, actually. Oh, it's a stunner. There's a long ball. I, th- I think it it might even be... Oh, I, I, I don't want to say I, I There's a long pass played to him. He takes it on his heel and lifts it over a defender while you know at full pelt running towards the opposition goal. And then he stands up like two defenders and the goalkeeper, makes them all look like idiots and just like... <laughs> Puts it in the back of the net with incredible ease. Like, he's he's ludicrously good when he wants to be. But the thing with Riyad Mahrez is Riyad Mahrez wants it to be all about mm. Riyad Mahrez, you know? Could, could it be... I don't want to like, accuse him of anything, but could this Sterling be Sterling asking to play on the left? Because No, I don't to, think so. He seemed to like that more at Liverpool. I know he played as a 10 for a bit, but... He did, but Liverpool, see, when he plays on the right for City, he's actually playing more as a central striker because him and Aguero operate largely as a two when the system works. Mm. Um, I suppose if you're asking to play as a traditional inside forward, 
playing on the right does benefit him more because he can cut inside onto his right foot. And we all know his left foot is literally just for standing on. But no, I don't think so. I don't think he's asking to play there. I think he's just been told to play there. But it's not working for him or for them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's certainly strange. So what what was it, 2-1 for this? 2-1 Spurs, yeah. Mm. Whilst I don't think Spurs, we kind of just went on Man City there. Um, Any chance of the front three of Bale, Kane and Son? Or too much for this game? No, I think I think Mourinho might try it. I genuinely think he might try it again. Like they've obviously used it already, but I think he might try it in this one because he might look at that city team and think, well, you know, they really want to attack and they really want Joe Canseo to attack. So let's give him something to think about defensively um, by just putting Harry Kane out there and let it, if if Canseo goes forward and leaves Kane by himself, we'll just play the ball to Kane or to. Bale, sorry, if you just leave Bale on the on the right up against Canseo, and if Canseo goes and attacks, well then Gareth Bale's going to find himself in a t- in a ton of space, and he'll have a ton of opportunity to punish them. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. I mean, if not, it he, he might go Lucas Moura just to be a little bit more conservative to, to and t- tire them out. Yeah, <laughs> so that's the only thing he does nowadays. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I'd, I'd probably say Lucas more, but Bill will probably come on 60-70 and see what he can do. Um, but we'll move on from that one, and we'll go to a relegation scrap. That is just me. Uh, Man United against West Brom. Um, I jest United fans. Somewhat. Um, shoot, Man United surely have to win this. They have to. They just have to. Like, there'd be no excuse for not winning this one. Um, United sit 13th. They've got 10 points from seven. They have been atrocious in the Premier League thus far. Bar their last game against Everton. They had 20 good minutes against Newcastle. But until the Everton game, that was it. They had been awful. West Brom have largely been awful, bar, you know, a couple of good halves. They had a good half against Chelsea. Um, nothing about their game against Burnley was good. They've been very disappointing since coming up. They've got a decent attack, but their defense is a mess, and you would fancy United take advantage of that. Now, United do have potentially a big injury list, but in all likelihood, probably not as big as people think it is. Phil Jones is ruled out. Luke Shaw is ruled out. So that that's one starter definitely out. Although Alex Tellez is, is back, so you'd imagine he was going to be starting anyway. Uh, Mason Greenwood, Marcus Rashford, and Harry Kane are all doubts. Eric Bailly is ruled out. Jesse Lingard is out, but, I mean, you know, it's Jesse Lingard. Anthony Martial is unlikely to play, and Victor Lindelof is a doubt. So there's doubts over both centre-backs. It's clear both centre-backs won't be fit, so maybe that's something West Brom can take advantage of. But you'd still expect United to have enough. Even like if if Rashford and Greenwood are fit, they will have enough going forward along with Bruno Fernandes and Cavani and Danny, Donny van de Beek for the 15 minutes he'll be allowed in the field. <laughs> They'll have enough to, to, beat, um, to beat what's a fairly poor West Brom team. West Brom will be without um, Robson Canu, 
field. Uh, Callum Robinson is is a actually they've got three potential COVID cases, but it looks like they'll all play. Uh, Ivanovic, Pereira, and Robinson. So they should only be without Robson Canu and Field, neither of whom would likely have started anyway. Um, so all things considered. Sheffield or West Brom will be at full strength. United, it, it's hit and miss now. It's, I think they would have preferred if this game was a Sunday just to give them that extra day. Yeah, but they should they should have more than enough. I'll pick a I'll pick a two nil United win. Um, it, I don't think it's going to be a pretty game at all. But I, I United should have enough. I mean, if they can't beat West Brom at home, they might as well just you know pack the whole thing up mm-hmm. and sell it off for parts because. Like, what would be the point? Well, the home record is terrible. It is awful this year. It's genuinely awful in the league. The The thing is, though, whenever Ollie finds himself under a little bit of pressure, he, like, he scabs together an old seven-game win streak with a, mm. you know, few dodgy games in Europe and some bad Premier League teams and, you know, an old EFL win. EFL Cup win, you, you you know he that's what all he does. But I mean they're they're looking at a relatively tough run of games, and they do have uh, Besiktas in midweek, and that won't be an easy <laughs> game, but it's a game they should win. Then they have Southampton away, PSG who'll want revenge, West Ham away, Leipzig who will have a major point to prove, City. Sheffield United, who are potentially going to be desperate for any any kind of victory at that point, then Leeds, then Everton in the EFL Cup, then Leicester away, and then Wolves at home to the end of this year. Like that is a tough, tough run of games. There's mm. definitely winnable games there, like comfortably winnable games. Like this one, Besiktas, West Ham should be a comfortable win for them. Sheffield United should be a comfortable win based on you know, even as bad as United's form have been, just how bad Sheffield United are. But it doesn't get easy for United at all. And, like, in January, they've got Villa, they've got Liverpool, they've got Arsenal. It's it's a slog for United right now. It really is. And it's hard to see where they start to, to put together runs of wins. Mm. Ollie might find himself in deep trouble before Christmas. Let's just leave it at that. Ollie might find himself in trouble before Christmas. Well, if West Brom beat him, then yeah. <laughs> if West Brom beat him, he might, like he, he, he if West Brom are two 0 up with ten minutes to go, don't even wait for the final whistle, Ollie. Just head down the tunnel, head straight up to your office, pack. Whatever you can into a ba- into a bag or a box. Find the documents that could get you in trouble between you and Ed Woodward. Burn them. Take your box. Get in your car. And just keep driving. Back to Mulder. Head north. You'll get to the very tip of Scotland. There's a man with a rowing boat and a life jacket waiting for you. Eddie Gibbs, the King of Scotland, he's already prepared this for you. He's left him there. What you do is you hand him your precious 
<laughs> take on the boat, and that's it. That boat will lead you back to Norway. Be, you, man- be managing Mulder and Nota. That's exactly it. They, they're waiting. They got their seven and a half million the last time you, you left. <laughs> so they've got they've got <laughs> a few quid. But but don't wait, Ollie. Don't even wait for the final whistle now. If you turn it down, save yourself the embarrassment. Eddie's already got that boat waiting for you. Head on up. Tell him Eddie. Eddie sent you via me. Get on the boat. Just head on home. Leave everything else behind. Just whatever you can fit in a small box <laughs> or a small bag. That's it. And we'll leave that game there. Yeah. Uh, I think so. <laughs> yes. Um, Fulham v Everton. Um, Everton obviously had the dip since the Merseyside derby, which might be karma, or it might be the fact that injuries and suspensions caught up with them. But I'll go with karma. Um. But Richarlison's meant to be back. I think he has a small injury doubt, but he played for Brazil, I believe, uh, and obviously his suspension's up now. Alan, questionable as well. You probably have the list in front of you better than me. But getting all these players back, it is it a light switching for Everton where they go straight back into good form or has the, the losses knocked them now, you reckon? I'm not sure, to be totally honest. Like, obviously... Not having Richarlison was a massive blow, and the injury to that James Rodriguez was playing with was a big blow. Um, injury he got, by the way, fouling a Liverpool player. Yeah. Just so we're clear. Um, but he's he's fully fit now. Richarlison, obviously, like you say, has a bit of a, a a knock on his ankle, so he's expected to be fit, but he won't be at a hundred percent. Gabaman is ruled out. Fabian Delph is ruled out. Um, Seamus Coleman is unlikely to play and Alan will have a fitness test he's got what's described as a muscular injury but doesn't say what muscle um, so either way he's not going to be fit but I mean that's they should be close enough to full strength Alan would be a huge blow He he's mm-hmm. super important to how they've been playing this year and without Gabama there, they don't really have another player to fit into that holding role in midfield. Uh, Fulham are without um, Kamara, who's suspended for being an idiot. Terence Congolo, who's uh, been ruled out for a while. Kenny Tete is unlikely to play. Lamina is 50-50. He'll have a fitness test. Um, so they, they'll be close to full strength as well. And we are getting close to kind of desperation point for Fulham you know four points this season um sitting in 17th position one win one draw in truth they should have three wins I mean they should have beaten Sheffield United but Mitrovic missed the penalty and then gave away a penalty and cost them the game sorry they should have two wins and a draw sorry they should have two wins and a draw um and no, sorry. Luckman's penalty was an equal. Luckman's penalty is the other one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so oh, that would have been a draw. So yeah, I mean, look, they should have seven points. They don't. They have four. They should be above Brighton, but they're not. Uh, that Luckman penalty is just is one of the more ridiculous things you, you'll see anywhere this season. So they should be a little bit comfortable in terms of the gap from them to the bottom three. But 
because of the penalty incidents, they aren't. And they will be a little bit desperate. Now, Everton are going to be a little bit desperate as well because three defeats on the bounce after such a promising start, they will want to get themselves back on track. They spent a lot of money this summer and they will want to get themselves back in the mix for Champions League spot because that is the aim for Everton this year. Fourth place is the aim for the blue side and Merseyside this season. If they finish in the Europa League spots, I don't think they'd be too disappointed, but if they continue playing the way they have in the last three games, the Europa League spot is a pipe dream for them. Um, You'd fancy Everton to have too much quality for Fulham, but Fulham are at home, and you know I know there's no fans, but just a trip down could be a little bit of a tough one for Everton, especially with all the COVID regulations at the hotels and on the buses and everything else. I'm going to say Everton to sneak it. I'll say Everton win 2-1, but I think Fulham will miss another penalty. Hmm. Well, Pick, Pickford's the sort of one who save a penalty and then give it a big one after letting in three mistakes or something. Yeah. <laughs> it would be very, yeah. it would be very Pickford. He'll give he'll, the penalty. He'll, he'll, give the, in. he'll give the penalty away, then save it. That seems to be how it'll work. Uh, but yeah, Everton. Should win this, but say the last two games, Fulham have looked somewhat better, minus the Luckman penalty. So it'll be interesting. But the Scott Parker debate rages on, so he's desperate for to save his job, you'd presume. Um, but yeah, Everton should win this if Allen's fit. Strong favourites, but if not, Decoray, Sigurdsson, and Gomes. It's not a pretty it's midfield, not is it? It's not a pretty midfield. <laughs> no. You'd imagine Tom Davies would have to start. He'd just have to start. It'd be an abomination if he didn't start. Carlo loves Gilfie. He does. I have no idea why. Mm. He is the slowest player of ever. Every, seen, like, everyone, everyone loves Swansea Gilfie, but Christ. Tottenham like, and, Ev- Tottenham and Everton Gilfie are awful. <laughs> if anyone listening to this looks out the window and just looks at any random building, that building, believe it or not, is moving quicker and more than Gilfie <laughs> Sigurdsson will move on the pitch on on Sunday. It is. Scary. Um, we were yeah. once fighting with Tottenham for him. Yeah, yeah. Changed the good old days. <laughs> uh, right. Um, Sheffield United v West Ham. Um, I suppose a lot of West Ham depends on Antonio's fitness. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Um, they're a different team when he plays. He's he's still a major doubt. He'll have a fitness test. Uh, Mark Noble is back. Ogbonna is expected to be back. And Yarmolenko is unlikely to play due to COVID. As for um, Sheffield United, Lee Smith is still out. That's such a big blow for them. Mm. John Fleck is ruled out. Rian Brewster's a major doubt. Ethan Ampadu is back. Um, John Egan is expected to be fit. Enda Stevens is expected to be fit. Jack O'Connell is ruled out again. It's a major blow for them. We, I mentioned desperation when it came to um, Fulham. This Sheffield United team have to show desperation this weekend. They have to show desperation this weekend. Last two weekends, they had two free hits, Man City and Chelsea. No one expected them to win, but they had opportunities to go out and really try and put a marker down 
really just fly out and give everything they had against those two teams. And they offered nothing. Absolutely nothing. They went 1-0 up against Chelsea and then just rolled over for them. It was remarkable to watch. They scored a goal and then they kind of sat down and went, right, that's it. We've had our fun. You take on there, lads. Against City at home, they did nothing. They had one opportunity. It was like the best chance they had was from about 17 yards out in about the 92nd minute with about eight defenders in the way. Like it was just an abomination of a performance, a shambles. Really concerned about Sheffield United this season. Really, really concerned about them. Because the players just don't look like they have real fight in them. And I keep seeing Sheffield United fans online talking about how they're going to be fine. Oh, no, the, the, the underlying numbers. Take the underlying numbers, put them into a nice, neat little box, and launch them off a bridge, lads. The underlying numbers mean absolutely nothing if the actual numbers don't match up to them. And Sheffield United have been garbage this season. They're lucky to have their one point. Based on how they've played, they zero points. Or as Ireland used to get in the Eurovision, Nipois. They've been <laughs> hopeless. And their big money signings from the summer just have not worked yet. Brewster looks a little bit lost. And Aaron Ramsdale, I mean... We'll give the kids some time. But there's no real evidence yet that he's a Premier League goalkeeper. Or even a goalkeeper. He's just a big lad who stands there. Why do teams keep buying these keepers that are built like angry toddlers? I'm really not sure. I'm really not sure. I mean, I know why United bought him. It was because he'd come through their academy. They'd sold him when they were having... A little bit of financial hardship. And, you know, now that they're in the big time, they thought they'd buy him back. But he hasn't performed. This season, he has been very, very Mm. poor. Now, admittedly, he's facing a lot of shots. A lot of shots. Because defensively, they've been poor. And the defense has been left wide open because the midfield has been quite poor, bar Sander Berger. Um, He has, but has Carl Darlow not faced a lot of shots? He absolutely has. And That's Carl the Dallow thing. is second choice goalkeeper in this club. That's the thing. And he didn't cost 20 odd million. Mm. And Carl Darlow, Carl Darlow is playing well this year. Yeah. Now, admittedly, he's only conceded one goal less than Ramsdale. But at the same time, he hasn't thrown any in, whereas Ramsdale has thrown in a couple so far. And even the ones uh, that, are like, you, th- you always think he could probably do better, though. Mm. And you look in the summer, I mean, Villa spent, what, two extra mil on Martinez? Was he not cheaper? I think they were similar. I think was Ramsdale, they were similar price. They were I think Ramsdale similar. was 18, wasn't he? And Martinez oh, was you're 20. right. I think it was like 18.7 and 20.5. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, two mil difference. I well, look, look. Yeah. Look at the Premier League clubs, right? So... Gasaniga was rumoured to be available most of the summer. I, I would have preferred him mm-hmm. to Ramsdale. Uh, Southampton have about 15 goalkeepers, but Fraser Forster was available mm-hmm. all summer. You could probably have gotten him on loan. Mm-hmm. And I would much prefer him. Um, 
United have twelve keepers. Emmy Martinez, like you say, was leaving was leaving Arsenal, so you could have had yeah. him. Romero. Uh, United have Romero, who I mean, God knows what he'd actually be like in the Premier League because he's just been <laughs> sat on the bench at United for years. Who knows if he even remembers how to play football anymore? Um, he that man was first choice for Argentina, and he decided to go sit on United's bench, and now he doesn't even get a call it's up. It's the dream career, it's what getting hundred grand a week to train with De Gea. The, like, and the thing is, now he literally has <laughs> the perfect job. He is the third choice goalkeeper. So even like mm. in the League Cup games, he just has to go. He doesn't have to play. Yeah. He just sits on the bench rather than sitting I mean, in the stand. Ozil has the dream job. <laughs> well, yeah, in fairness, Ozil just sits at home and yeah. gets three hundred and fifty grand a week. Yeah. But like third choice goalkeeper at a Premier League club, at a third choice goalkeeper at a good Premier well, League club is he's the not even dream job. Is he? he must be. He's fourth choice behind Lee Grant. Uh, Lee Grant is registered because of the homegrown. Yeah. Thing, yeah, but like he, he's he's registered he's I think, good, for the yeah, Champions obviously. League, and I think he's registered for like. No, he's just it's it's just a dream. He's getting a hundred grand a week or whatever it is, just to go in and have a bit of a kick about five days a week with no pressure on. Like he didn't have to be fit. Yeah, he didn't have to really like be in form. Nah. He can just go in, throw himself about. You know, every every second Wednesday, just check that banking app, make sure that money's come through <laughs> on the first and fifteenth of the month. What a good life. Oh, Sergio Romero living large. But no, he really wanted to leave. He, he, he went really to wanted to leave. Did he? didn't want to go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't want to leave. Why would you leave? He, he could have left that there to go sit on Everton. He could have left there to sit on Everton's bench behind Jordan Pickford. Oh, but like there are there's like there's a, a number of of clubs that had goalkeepers that were leaving. I mean, you probably could have got Kepa on loan, <laughs> whether you'd want him or not. I don't know, but like you know, there, there were a no. We'd have given you Adrian like free, like for free, free. We'll pay his wages. You well, just have him. Um, even Carrius from us. I know he's broken the Premier League, but he's better than Ramsdale. He's better than Ramsdale. And with no fans, I don't think the, the being broke thing would really matter to him. Yeah. I don't think he's broke. I don't think he's broke the way Kepa's broke. No. I think Kepa's broke that he can't see the ball anymore. <laughs> uh, Carries is just bro- is, is broken in the fact that, like, you know, he just, just received death threats and stuff. Just don't play him in the Champions League. You want well, that's, that's exactly it. Just don't have any real ambition. You'd be yeah. fine. Um,. Yeah, I mean, there's, there was just there was better options out there. There really was. And look, I, th- I think I think he'll he'll turn out to be a good goalkeeper in a couple of years. But you went from having Dean Henderson last year on loan, who was a really good goalkeeper. Um, whether or not like and and like when Henderson went there, he wasn't anywhere close to the goalkeeper he left there as. He had two years there under a great coaching staff, really good goalkeeping coach. They developed him brilliantly for United. And, and perhaps Ramsdale will develop the same way, but they can't wait two years for him. Like, it, it is it is now or never for Sheffield United. They need to solve things and, and get things turned around immediately. Um, as for West Ham, I mean, you know, they'll play the back seven. Um, one up front, one in midfield, and, and a winger floating around. It will be what it will be. 
we know how they're going to play. We know there'll be some some long balls. We'll know there'll be some high balls. There'll be some crosses. Be some crosses from the from the halfway line. There'll probably be some crosses from inside their own half. Aaron Cresswell, you know, jogging out, lumping across sixty yards. That's a, it's a sight to behold. Um, they'll want to win corners and then put them in the box, put them in the mixer, as they say. It, this won't be a pretty game. This will in no way be a pretty game of football. I, I think it has draw written on it. Mm-hmm. Given it's at Bramall Lane, I'm going to give Sheffield United the benefit of the doubt and say that it's a this will be a a one one draw, and maybe will be the 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 scour the scourge game of the weekend. Beautiful. Um, Leeds v Arsenal. Um, two teams who probably started the season a bit optimistically. It seems to have came crashing down a bit. I mean, Leeds probably since the Phillips injury have looked pretty terrible. And Arsenal, the beat United, but that that doesn't mean anything nowadays. Um, they just look toothless and terrible. Yeah, this is a really interesting game because this is like the most the most temperamental manager in the league against maybe the most level-headed. The most aggressive team in the league against maybe the most passive team in the league. Um, You've got Leeds who, when they attack, they want to commit like eight men into every attack and just create overloads everywhere. And when they defend, it's like uber-tight man-to-man marking on everybody. Like, oh, your centre-back is free, let me go and man-mark him. Um, Arsenal, on the other hand, they're just, they're weird. They're they're so passive. Now, you can see, obviously, what both teams want to do. And the reason Leeds are having trouble at the moment, you mentioned Calvin Phillips being out. That's massive. He's their best player. He's key to the system. Everything sort of functions through him in attack and defense. So that's been massive for them. And for Arsenal, it's hard to know. Like, you know what they want to do, and you can very clearly see Arteta beginning to put in place a defensive structure, an attacking structure, patterns of play. The shape is there. The system is there. And he's trying to develop it and perfect it. And these things do take time. We just need to look at Liverpool under Jurgen Klopp. It was the third year under Klopp before Liverpool were... A, a really good team. They were decent in the first two seasons and finished fourth. Um, he's in year one. He has a worse, he took over a worse squad, I would say, than what Klopp inherited. A couple of really good individual talents, but I mean, an absolute shambles defensively. And uh, when I look at that Arsenal team, like, again, I can see where they're going. And it's obvious he wants to play 4-3-3 long-term. But he may just be best suited to stick with this 3-4-3 permanently because of the players he has at his disposal. Because I don't imagine he's going to have the the want or the funding to change four players next summer, like four starters next summer, which is probably what they will have to do to get the finished product for him. Which means that 
this is a rebuilding season. Next season's a rebuilding season. And then that third year is when he'll make his real push, but not for a title, for Champions League. At which point, Aubameyang's going to be 33, 34, maybe 34. And in the, like, going into the last year of his contract, and probably with a little bit of the hump that they've kind of wasted his his prime in his last good years, um, and he's still going to be earning 250 grand a week, and Willian will just be getting ready to leave at 50 or whatever he'll be at that point. Um, you, you can see where they're going, and you can see how they get there. It's just, It's just about how quickly they can get there. And how much patience their fans are going to have. I will say, I think Arsenal are the one club who benefit from not having fans in the stands right now. Because we've seen some of their fans. You can find clips of them on YouTube. Who, you know, they like to shout and they like to have banners. And they like to, you know, go on YouTube and scream and shout. And make a load of noise. And say things that get others riled up. And it's all just daft, really, when you think about it. Like... Yes, you're Arsenal. Yes, you expect to challenge every year for for honours, but just park your privilege. Take your entitlement, put it away, put your big boy pants on, and remember that you've been crap for years now. And this is the first time there's a manager with an actual plan and a long-term vision on where you're going. So you, you went through years with Wenger, not really having an end game. And then Emery doesn't know what he's doing. You hardly expect that man. That man's too busy being a Dracula impersonator of an evening. You don't expect him to know what he's doing. Arteta does have a plan. He has a vision for Arsenal. It's what he sold the moment they gave him the job. They just have to give him time and they have to allow him to travel the path that he chooses. And if in a couple of years it hasn't worked, then you just bin him off and you try again. But you have to give him those couple of years. For Leeds, it's just a matter of getting players fit and finding a little bit of rhythm because they obviously brought in a lot of players in the summer. Most of them are yet to make an impact. Rodrigo's had some injuries. Rafinha's had injuries. Diego Llorente has had injuries. Those last two haven't played yet. Um, Robin Cock is still getting settled into the league. I think we've seen one or two of the players they come up with struggle to cope with the quality in the Premier League. This game for me, I think Leeds need it more. You know, back-to-back defeats where they conceded four goals. That was not a not something that Bielsa will be happy with. And we know with Bielsa, he doesn't allow his team to believe they're not the best team, regardless of who they're playing. So they play Liverpool, they think they're the better team. They play... Burnley, they think they're the better team. It doesn't matter to them. So they'll think they're the better team against Arsenal. Calvin Phillips may well be back. Um, he's he's going to have a late fitness test. Rodrigo was ruled out with COVID. Shackleton, Berardi, and Forshaw ruled out. Diego Lorente is still ruled out. For Arsenal, Pablo Mari, Reese Nelson, Gabriel Martinelli, uh, Mohamed Elneny, and Saeed Kalasnach both ruled out with COVID. Callum Chambers, an outside shot of playing. Thomas Partey is a, is a doubt. So if he misses out, that's going to be huge because the midfield without El Elneny would then end up in Ceballos and, and Xhaka again, which nobody really wants to see. I'm going to say Leeds win this one 2-1. It's certainly interesting. I mean, it's just Arsenal's lack of goals. and 
leader's defensive weakness. They That's should, the thing. They should score, but you don't have conf- you don't have confidence in them to score. That's the thing. Leeds have been wide open at the back. Mm. Defensively, they've got a couple of players who just are championship caliber. The goalkeeper's still really young, still learning his way. And the other defender that they have, who's not a championship caliber defender, is, is only still getting settled into the league, new club, new language, new teammates, etc., etc., etc. And a, a completely different system to anything you'll ever have seen before. So you would expect that Arsenal would have opportunities to score, but they just don't create anything. I mean, they're just staggeringly inept at creating anything at all. And yet, they do own maybe the second or third most creative player in the country, and he's not even registered to play. Mm. It's just, it's a, it's a staggering decision by Arteta to not even register him. I don't even, I don't even know if Arteta is the one that made that decision or if that was decision was made for him. Because you'd imagine in Osel's contract on top of the 350 grand a week, there's probably also appearance fees, win bonuses, assist bonuses. Like that was a godfather contract that they gave him. That was a, you know, we're desperate, please stay here contract. Mm. So I'd imagine every, every game Osel plays, every goal he, he helps them score and every win he helps them get probably earn them another boatload of money uh, and Arsenal don't want to pay it so I wouldn't be surprised if that decision was made for Arteta rather than by Arteta I'm going to say Leeds win 2-1 Cool we will move on to probably the game of Saturday Um, the injury derby or the Brendan Rodgers derby Liverpool v Leicester Um, obviously Liverpool have got a lot of injuries and lots of doubts and question marks but Leicester have been suffering with this same problem for most of the season. Um, obviously, ND, pretty much all the spines. Obviously, onto um, ND, Vardy was missing for a bit. Madison missed the start of the season. Um, does it help Leicester that they've kind of settled into a team, whereas Liverpool are fresh injuries? I think it does in a, in a way. Like, Ricardo Pereira has been out all season. Um, Castanier took over from him. Now he's out, and he could be back for this one. But Sionchu is out, and Didi's out, Amarty is out. Wesley Fafana will have a late fitness test and a knee injury. Um, I think in a way it has that kind of all their injuries sort of came at once, whereas Liverpool's have come kind of one big event after another. Liverpool's uh, current injury situation is obscene. Trent Alexander-Arnold ruled out. Fabinho is a doubt. We'll have a fitness test. Jordan Henderson is unlikely to play. He, he just got ruled out in the uh, in the presser. Henderson. Did he? Yeah. So, he's, so Jordan Henderson's out. Reese Williams has an injury. He's a doubt. Thiago Alcantara has an, has an injury. He's a doubt. Mo Salah has COVID because he went to a wedding. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain has been out all season. Virgil van Dijk is out for the season. And Joe Gomez is out for the season and may never return the same player because of the nature of the injury he had. I mean, that is horrendous. Utterly horrendous. Uh, I saw... this. That, you know that graphic that's been going around on Twitter of 
what's left of Liverpool's title-winning team. Mm. And it's literally Alisson in goal, Andy Robertson at left-back, no other defenders that played <laughs> played regularly last season. Ginny Wijnaldum, no other midfielders that played regularly last season. <laughs> Mane and Firmino. That's it. Five of them. Six of their title-winning team ruled out. Um, but look, they can't complain because the centre-back situation is, is a little bit of their own making. They should have bought one in the summer. The Alcantara thing is is just unfortunate that uh, he ran into Richarlison, who, you know, I mean, it was a scumbag tackle by a player with a track record of doing things like that. He's just lucky not to have broken his leg or, or suffered a serious injury. Um Fabinho got hurt by having to play centre back. That's kind of what happened there. The Henderson thing is just again, it's a stupid international break. And um So it was Gomez to be fair. <laughs> and Gomez again, the stupid international break. And if there hadn't been an international break, Mo Salah would not have been in Egypt attending a wedding. So and having a little dance. Um to, to be fair, I don't think you can blame the club or Egypt on that one. He's gone to a wedding. <laughs> yeah, I'm just blaming him. Like, yeah, that that is his own fault. He has been an idiot in that regard. At least wear actually, a mask more for the love of God. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, come on. Or or at least at least let the club know what you're doing so they could send someone with you to actually COVID test the other people that are there. At least don't let someone film you at a wedding where you're in a room with hundreds of people. That's <laughs> it, dancing away like a loon. Jesus. Oh, Mr. Salah, you've let me down, son. But, like, you know, it, it, it's just, it is, it's a bad situation. But, look, Leicester have had a horrendous run of luck. Their, their starting back four has missed out. Their holding midfielder has missed out for most of the season. But they're starting to get players back a little bit now, like Castanier's coming back. Ndidi's on the path back. Uh, Ricardo Pereira is on the path back, and should be both of them should be back within the next month, they reckon. Um, Brendan has taken teams to Liverpool twice. He brought Swansea, and they got a nil-nil draw. He brought Leicester last year. They almost got a draw, but a late James Milner penalty won won it for Liverpool. I do think this is the best opportunity he'll ever have to win a game at Anfield as a visiting manager. And I think it would mean an awful lot to him to win a game at Anfield as a visiting manager, even if there's no fans there. But I'm not sure this is the weekend for you, Brendan. I think I think Liverpool have just still have enough attacking quality and enough midfield quality because even if Alcantara can't play, Liverpool can still play a midfield of Naby Keita, Ginny Wijnaldum and Curtis Jones, which is still quality. Up front, they'll still have Diogo Jota, F- uh, Bobby Firmino and Mane. And even with Firmino out of form, it, the, the other two are really in form. At the back, it, it, I'm, I'm guessing Fabinho will be fit, will be fit enough to start anyway. And they might give him 60 and then take him off. So I'm guessing it'll be Fabinho and Matip. They, that will struggle with the pace of Vardy. That needs to be said. Um, they're going to need Andy Robertson to be really good. And Andy Robertson's not 100% fit either. He's He's got a knock because you know he missed a Scotland game. And then needed to play the next Scotland game. You'd assume... You'd assume Milner starts at right back, which isn't ideal at all, but... 
poor old Nico, Nico Williams just has been so poor this season that you'd assume it'll be Milner. With, with the lack of Virgil and Henderson in the squad as well, mm-hmm. um, you'd imagine Milner's in there just for you know the fact that he's the vice captain. Um, Ginny would be captain if Milner. Ginny would be player. captain otherwise, yeah. Want, which really, no one wants a fourth choice captain. <laughs> no, no. I'd like to see Ginny as you know captain of the team though. I think he is a, I think he is a natural leader, and he's you know he captained Feyenoord at like nineteen, was captain of PSV, so it is there. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, I, I assume Milner starts at right back. I, I'm going to say this one ends in a draw. I'm going to say a two-two draw. Fardy will score a couple, mm. but I think I think Mane and Jota will will cause their makeshift defence some problems. They, mm. They're going to be filling a gap somewhere. Um, Is Schmeichel and... out as well? So he had a concussion for Denmark, didn't he? He did. Now I think he's I think he's been past fit, but right. That is a that's an interesting one actually. Because he's Danny not listening. Ward, Danny Ward's not as good. <laughs> well, Danny Ward, of course, best known for being the man who used to leak the team news <laughs> at Liverpool. So he you know, <laughs> he's got friends in high places. Maybe we yeah. can use those friends to, uh, you know, get him to throw one in. Listen, Danny, mm. you know, we never really punished you. We never find you for the, you know, leaking the team news. So tell you what you do. Now we're not saying to do anything untoward, but. You just pretend you're Jordan Pickford this Sunday. That's all we're saying. Well, he might That's injure, all we're he saying. Might you pretend someone, you're Pickford. <laughs> He'll end up going two-footed on Mane if you do that. That's a fair point. You Don't pretend you're Pickford. You pretend Ra- you're Kepa. Be Ramsdale. Just pretend you're Kepa. Yes, Kepa. Ramsdale. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, this will be a tough one. I think you mentioned Vardy. I think Harvey Barnes, whoever the hell's at right back for Liverpool, will be just as key a duel, really. Um, but we'll see as we're running a bit long. We'll um, go through Monday quite quickly because the games aren't that great. Burnley v Crystal Palace. How many draws do you think this will be? Yeah, this this one reeks of nil nil. Reeks of nil nil. Daishi against the Hodge. It's going to be a long ball extravaganza. Um, I hope it. I really hope it's a rainy, dank, dour sort of setting. You know. Turf more in the rain. There's no finer place for a game of long ball muck. This is going to be a horrible game of football. Uh, this is nil-nil. I don't care who's injured. I don't, uh, <laughs> I just look, just to be fair, just to be fair. Um, Jack Cork is ruled out. Phil Bardsley is back. Charlie Taylor's a doubt. Robbie Brady's a doubt. Good Munson is a doubt. Eric Peters looks like he's back. And Dale Stevens is out for Burnley. So, you know... Having Ben Mee back is good. If Taylor, Brady, and Goodmanson are all fit, that'll be that'll be a really big boost to Burnley. Um, as for Palace, uh, Luka Milivojevic is a, a, a major doubt. Um, I think it's because of COVID. Uh, Tyreek Mitchell is back. Joel Ward is back. James Tompkins is potentially back. Eberichi Easy is a minor doubt, but he'll have a fitness test and should be fine. Connor Wickham is out. Wayne Hennessy is out, and Nathan Ferguson is still out. So all things considered, both teams should be close enough to full strength. I think, I, I just think it's a draw. I It might not be a nil-nil. It could be a 1-1. There will be some decent footballers on display, as we know, like Will Saha, Dwight McNeil, etc., etc. But it is, Burnley need to start picking up points. And this is a game that they should be targeting to win. 
But Palace are in good form. And they're Palace are a top half team right now. They sit eighth in the league, 13 points, four wins and a draw. That's a really good start for them. Um, Burnley have been hopeless. Zero wins, two draws. Um, neither of them have, were pretty games. I mean, the, the Brighton game last time out was was disgusting. The the West Brom game. I mean, there won't be a worse game of football <laughs> played in England this year than West Brom and Burnley put together. It was just awful. You got to watch. wait for the return fixture. And this is like this is what I'm going to be subjected to on Monday. Like, oh yes. For 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 the listeners, like this is what I what I put myself through is watching. Burnley against against Crystal Palace. Guy will be playing his new Xbox. Some of you will all be out there playing your new PlayStation. And I'm going to be watching Burnley against Crystal Palace. And Tuesday, you get to talk about it. Yeah, exactly. So I have to watch it, try and block it from my mind, and then relive it on Tuesday morning. It's just awful. And then, as Guy said, the other game is not massively better given who the home team are but yeah I'm, I'm going to say nil nil but a one one wouldn't surprise me but I, I do think it'll be a draw the the draw is penciled in <laughs> oh it's uh, in a marker no, I'm, yeah. using, I'm using Donald Trump's <laughs> sharpie on this one yes yes um, so the last game of the weekend I mean last season this would have been a fun game but it's not anymore um, Wolves Southampton um, I mean we mention it every pod Wolves just they're doing fine results-wise, but you just watch them and they just don't feel the same. But And Southampton on flash score, it's saying Harry, uh, Harry Kane. Danny Ings is fit, which seems early for me, but it's good news for Southampton, if so. No, he's definitely not. No, he's he definitely not? not fit. He had surgery um, on his knee. He won't be back until the week before Christmas is when they're expecting oh, him back. Okay, flash score is uh, lying to me. Um, that's well. I'm going by PremierInjuries.com, right, okay. which is yeah. the site I normally use. Now, look, if they're wrong, they're wrong. But um, the the detail they had was that on November fourth, Ralph Hasenhutl said we've decided to go with surgery because it was the safest way to only have him out for four to six weeks. Right. Okay. Um. So Ings is is out. Smallbone is out. Salisu is out. Ward Prowse, Bertrand, and Theo Walcott will all have uh, fitness tests. Walcott is a wrist injury, so he might just have a strap and he should be fine. Um, as for Wolves, Connor Cody is self-isolating as a precaution because of COVID. Uh, Rayan Outnuri is a doubt with a muscle problem, and Johnny Castro is still ruled out because of his knee injury. Wolves have been the most boring team in the league outside of, you know, the normal teams that are boring. Um, the lack of Adama Traore, the insistence on playing Netu and Pedence, even though they largely do the same thing, um, has not made them enticing to watch. They've ground out some 1-0 wins, but, you know, as as happy as they might be with being ninth in the league so far, only the bottom four have scored less goals. Um, which mm. will tell you, you know, even Arsenal have scored more goals, and Arsenal are really struggling for goals. Would they be happy with nine? Because they, they no, they won't. They no, were I'm juggling joking. Europa League. Yeah, with no Europa, yeah. they they will honestly have thought we're going we're, we're we're going for fourth this year. Yeah, and look, they are only three points behind Southampton, who do sit in fourth. 
So a win here would put them above Southampton. Now the teams obviously will win over the weekend, so it won't get them fourth. But, you know, they'll be they'll probably be happier with where they are in terms of points with regards to the Champions League. To be only three points off the top four, I think they'll be happy with that. But they, they can't be happy with how they've played. They certainly won't be happy with the fact that even though they've defended quite well, and with nine goals conceded, have the joint best defensive record in the league. They still have a negative goal difference. They have only played City as well and Leicester. Yeah, I mean they haven't played the they haven't played the top guns yet. Yeah. Um, they played Sheffield United on the first day of the season. They got a two 0 win where they scored twice in six minutes, and then that was the game over. They lost to City. They got walloped by West Ham in a, just an, an atrocious performance. They dragged out a 1-0 win over Fulham, dragged out a 1-0 win over Leeds, where they were really lucky and should have been beaten. Um, and the goal was as ugly as you'll ever see. Um, they drew one all at home with Newcastle. They beat Palace 2-0. Had a little bit of good fortune in that one. Um, but again, they got two goals in the first half an hour, and that was that was the end of the excitement there. And then they lost last time out to Leicester in a in a drab one nil defeat. So like they're just they are boring to watch right now. They're really predictable. Um, it, it, it's almost like Nuno is is auditioning for the England job by showing how boring he can be. Um, and and the thing is, Southampton, like Ralph's team, are one of the most entertaining to watch in the league. And they lost on the opening day to Palace, and that was a they were dreadful. They got walloped by Spurs, and that was largely down to the fact that their defensive line was just r- ridiculously high. But they were quite good in that game for probably you know, 45, 50 minutes. Um, they beat Burnley 1-0. They beat, che- uh, beat West Brom 2-0. Then they had that 3-3 draw with, with Chelsea. Then they beat Everton 2-0, playing really, really well. Uh, and Everton had been playing really well going into that game. Then they beat Villa, and they would have beaten Villa far more comfortably than, than the 4-3, but they kind of lost their heads when Danny Ings got hurt. And then last time out, they beat Newcastle on the Friday night and ended up top of the league going into Saturday mm. for the first time in, in, in their history that they've been top of the league in the Premiership. So they, they've been fun to watch. They've been much better defensively since that 5-0 uh, walloping that they received at the hands of... of um, of Spurs, I mean, take that out, they've only conceded seven goals in the seven games. So, all things considered, Southampton are the more informed team. They've been the better team this year. They're certainly the more uh, appealing team to watch. But without Ings, it is going to be a tough one. Um, I'm going to say Wolves win 1-0. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. But at the same time, in Southampton... They were fine against Newcastle without Ings. Che Adams stepped up. It's, uh... Yeah, he did for sure. He definitely did. And like, and it's not like Wolves are a particularly good defensive team. They just their system makes them solid defensively because they don't they don't leave gaps. They block passing lanes. That midfield four drops really deep, and it, like it it becomes a West Hamish back seven at times. Um, with no outballing, <laughs> and that's the thing. But yeah. that's Adama was always their outball. And without him, it's just not there. So they're left with Pedence trying to carry the ball. And he's a good dribbler, no question. He's a very good player. But he doesn't have that ability to, to just explode down the field the way 
Adama did, and defenders can run alongside him and get back into position, whereas with Adama, they were just looking at him, you know, as he glistened in the sun and charged down the field. Um, and they couldn't catch up, and all, all Jimenez needed to do was stay on side. So, you know, uh, for me, I, I just think, I think Wolves should should just have a little bit more quality. Like, Neves is the best player that's going to be on the pitch. Jimenez is the second best player that's going to be on the pitch. I think Wolves will have a little bit more quality, so I'll go for them at home to win 1-0. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, and that was the last game, Dave. That is it. That is the games wrapped up. Um, we will be back on Monday to review Saturday and Sunday's games, and then on Tuesday we'll have the, the joyous task of reviewing Burnley versus Crystal Palace for your listening pleasure. Uh, thank you to EPLindex.com for the platform. Thank you as always to Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield are our presenting sponsor. Do check out their services at LibertyShield.com if you're in need of a VPN and use my code EPLVPN to save 20% uh, at checkout. Uh, I'd like to just quickly plug my good friend Sam McGuire's newsletter, Marginal Pains. Uh, follow Sam on Twitter. I think he's at what is he at Sam Sam McGuire ninety Sam McGuire ninety yeah oh yeah because he's all professional now so he has yeah. to have a has to have a real handle um, so yes at Sam McGuire ninety uh, and and check out his newsletter do subscribe to it it's very very good himself and David Hughes uh, who some people might know from Liverpool dot com and Reach PLC. Um, just writing on a variety of things, you know, anywhere from David had a, had a piece yesterday on uh, Brighton and why their season is going the way it's going. Sam's written on a variety of topics as well. Um, it's it's really worth your while. Uh, I'd like to again recommend my friend Trev Downey's podcast, The Great Stories, non-football uh, related. The last one was uh, The Man in the Black Suit, I think, by Stephen King. Um well worth your while having a listen it's something that you can just throw on while you're doing anything and uh, and listen to trev tell you the story and then himself and neil Poole will discuss and break down and analyze what they've just talked about um it is it is well worth your while they're in they've they've launched season two so we'll be expecting uh, episode two of that quite soon um so check out those two things Check out EPLindex.com. Check out Liberty Shield. Uh, a couple of good blog posts on Liberty Shield as well. You might want to check out as well. And that's it. That is the show. Thanks to Fox Hunt. Thank you to Guy Drinkle, of course. And thank you to you for listening. Have yourselves a wonderful weekend. The only person I do not wish a good weekend to is that guy who wrote that story in the Daily Mail. I'm still angry. Can you believe it? I'm an hour and a half later. I'm still angry. Uh, but have a good weekend. I'll see you Monday. Take care. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.